A very warm welcome to all those joining us for this special edition of Have, of Have We Got Planning News For You, the purpose of which is to inform and update you on recent developments on the thorny issue of nutrient neutrality. Joining us is James Stephen, Director of Cities at the HBF, who my fellow panelist Charlie Banner will be interviewing in just a moment. Before opening up questions to my other esteemed fellow panellists, Paul Tucker, Chris Young and Sasha White. But first, I'm just going to do quickly a bit of scene setting. Slide one, please, Rob. And I'd like to just say to all those listening, please go to our website where you will find these slides. But I think I just need to begin by reminding you all that in August 2020, Natural England dropped a bit of a clangor when they wrote to the Somerset authorities effectively telling them that because of the existing unfavourable condition of the Somerset Levels and, Ra uh, and Moore's Ramsar site, they had to stop issuing planning permissions without carrying out a, an appropriate assessment to ensure that there was no uh, added phosphates uh, as a result of additional residential development. And that, that appropriate assessment test, viewers will recall, stems from Regulation 63 of the 2017 Habitats, which itself stems from Article 6.3 of the Habitat Directive. Next slide, please, Rob. So I, I just want to mention that by way of background. Secondly, uh, regular viewers will already be aware of the recent case, uh, CG Fry, which tested whether that the advice of Natural England properly applied to the discharge of planning conditions following a Section 70 appeal, says 78 appeal that was dismissed. And you will know that um, the one and only Charlie Banner here acted on, on that case for the unsuccessful developer. We discussed this on our program with Clive Betts, Series 10, Episode 5, and the case itself is to be found on our website and on this uh, I have a uh, slide, I've put some links, and again, you will find that on our website. And the point is that the upshot of that was that Article 6.3 still applies, notwithstanding, some of you might be thinking, the EU Withdrawal Act 2018. Next slide, please. So, we've had a bit of a um, standoff, and lots of uh, planning permissions have not been able to be developed. And the government has sought to um, move matters on. And Mr. Go announced on the 29th of August that he had some reforms to unlock this thorny issue. And those reforms include some tabled amendments to the Leveling Up and Regeneration Bill. And again, I've, I've included on this slide various links and we move on. We'll get to the crux, please, to the next slide. This is the crux of what is proposed, new regulation 85B and subsection uh, two, when making the decision, the competent authority must assume that nutrients uh, in urban wastewater from proposed development, whether alone or in combination, will not adversely affect the relevant site. So in a nutshell, listeners, viewers, it is a new statutory um, assumption which is sought to be introduced in the Leveling Up Bill. That's not the whole story, though. Um, move on to the last slide, please, Rob, if you'd be so kind, because alongside 
this new proposal is a commitment for funding. And that commitment is to uh, improve the current unsatisfactory state, unfavorable condition, to use the technical language, of various um, protected areas around the country, so as to ensure that whilst new development can come forward, so can improvements to ensure that the unfavorable condition is brought back into favorable condition. So that's another part of the jigsaw puzzle, as is uh, the uh, uh, other, other parts of the bill, which are seeking to ensure that wastewater companies um, are better regulated to make sure that they play their fuller part, shall we say, in making sure that anything that goes into rivers uh, is cleaner than it has been currently. So that's a kind of bird's eye quick run through of where we are now. And I'm now going to hand over to Charlie. I hope that's a, a, a helpful update um, so that he can commence his interview with James. Thanks very much indeed, Mary. And um, hello, viewers. Um, hello, James. Thank you for joining us. You were with us um, a few months ago to talk about the then situation of integration to neutral neutrality, and here we are now. My, my first question for you, James, is um, does this go far enough? Does this do what the house building sector wanted? Um, or are there further risks? I mean, for example, it's been said by some that the legislation doesn't of itself preclude neutral neutrality from being a material consideration under policy, um, even if it's um, uh, no longer a legal matter. Um, so are you happy uh, on behalf of the house building industry with the changes? Do you think more is needed, whether by way of MPPF updates or otherwise? Yeah. Uh, thank you for that, Charlie. Um, yes, the industry is uh, very happy uh, with what the government's proposed. And uh, it isn't what we expected. Um, you know, I'd been subject to an awful lot of rumours and speculation in about a month uh, beforehand leading up to this. And I, I didn't honestly think the government would go down this route uh, because they'd uh, uh, told us uh, on several occasions, at least going back two and a half years ago, uh, that they wouldn't legislate to remove this issue. Although we kind of thought that um, being very familiar with the scale of the issue and the impact on the industry and the difficulty of achieving mitigation, we thought that legislation would have to be considered at some point. So yes, Charlie, we're very happy with what's been proposed. Your question about whether this can still be done through policy is an interesting one. And actually, it's something that I, I've assumed uh, uh, can't be done because this will be a legal uh, requirement. It's, it, it will be in statute to say that local authorities uh, must not uh, make this a requirement of plan making or decision taking. So I had assumed that there wasn't the ability for local authorities to introduce it by policy on, on this line. I think that has been confirmed in the discussions that we have had with DLUHC. Um, it, I, 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 we'll see. We'll see. Um, we'll see how that um, how that pans out. Um, what does this mean for nutrient credits trading, existing obligations? Because there's, there's certainly a number of developers, land promoters, etc., um, who've already signed it up um, to potentially quite expensive commitments. Um, where do they stand? Yeah, this is a thorny subject, and I've been subject to a lot of discussions, had a lot of discussions over the last week uh, with people who are concerned about that situation. Um, 
my view on it is that that those nature-based solutions, which is one form of mitigation, will still be in demand in order to achieve other government statutory objectives like biodiversity net gain. There'll still be a requirement for that. Uh, similarly, local authorities are still under an obligation to achieve nutrient neutrality, albeit they can't require house builders to do that, and will come on, presumably, uh, to discuss the government the government's other measures in a moment. So they will still be in the business of procuring solutions. And indeed, the government expects the uh, Natural England Nutrient Mitigation Scheme to expand and to be expedited in order to provide mitigation solutions for nutrient neutrality within the catchment areas affected. However, it does mean that the demand from house builders, uh, should the legislation get more of a cent, will probably diminish. And that could very well have an impact upon the value of credits uh, that landowners, farmers have been uh, devising. But I think you've got to recognise that local authorities, and, and it hasn't just been the HBF who's been pushing for legislative change here, uh, local authorities have written to government uh, through the district council's network saying this issue has to be lifted because they, as local authorities, are spending far too much money and resource trying to find a way through this intractable situation. Uh, and local authorities have been quite worried themselves about the cost of, co cost of commercial uh, uh, credits uh, for uh, mitigation. And, uh, you know, the cost of those can be quite high. You know, it's about six and a half thousand to nine thousand pounds per, per dwelling as a general rule. Uh, it can be much more expensive than that in certain catchments dealing certain problems. And local authorities themselves were worried about the diversion of developer contributions away from the provision of affordable housing, which is a critical priority, as well as planning gain towards other public services. Thanks. So it'll be very interesting to see what the immediate impact of the, of the amendments are if they're enacted in their current form on local authorities' five-year housing and supply. I mean, potentially some authorities will, will be very happy because they'll suddenly get a huge shot in the arm. Yeah, precisely so. And and that was another one of the concerns raised by several local authorities, including Ashford Council, who had spent a great deal of money uh, and effort devising a local plan, uh, which involves some very difficult political decisions, sensitive political decisions. You know, um, uh, our political representatives have to make a lot of compromises on things. And you spend a lot of money developing this plan and maturing this local plan uh, for, um, the, for Natural England's uh, intervention to suddenly scupper that, to make that obsolete and redundant. And I also think, Charlie, that was in the mind of government. I think they were looking at the potential for these Natural England interventions to be made on the back of the Dutch nitrogen judgment. Uh, sorry, I'm, I'm near a very noisy road. Uh, the, the effect of that actually completely undermining the efficacy of our plan-led system. Uh, because it wouldn't matter what plan you produced, if if suddenly a habitat or species was was deemed to be in a vulnerable condition, you could you could stop immediately house building or potentially other types of development. So I think that was a big risk, and that's why I think the government has made, I think it's made the the correct decision to try and uh, change this through legislation. Um, dare I ask this? Uh, um, you, you said you were sort of pleasantly surprised. Um, has this um, affected how the house building sector sees government. It's not been the most uh, brilliant relationship, dare I say, in the last year. Uh, is this um, a, the, does this hold a step change in that relationship? 
I, I think so. And uh, I mean, um, let's be let's be cautious here. That, that it's by no means a done deal that the amendments will 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 um, will come into effect. But it, it's true that we have had a fairly taut relationship with government over the last couple of years. Um, uh, um, on various matters, uh, um, some of which you know probably have been brought upon the industry uh, itself. I'm thinking about the uh, the leasehold issue. Mm. Others that that I think the industry would argue has been a failure of government. I'm thinking about um, approved document B of the building regulations. Yeah. That matter. Uh, the, the Justice Morbix report on that is expected in the new year. I think that will be very interesting. But it has meant that we've had a very taut relationship with government and we've not been able to uh, uh, perhaps so easily get our point of view across. However, um, you know, we've had we've had some very good conversations with uh, Conservative Party MPs, uh, Conservative Party ex-ministers. And yes, I, I think I, uh, you know, I think the industry will, is very grateful to the government for at least attempting this measure. So maybe the herald of a reboot. Uh, uh, I, I, I would think so, Charlie. Yeah. And um, of course, it's not just about as you, as Mary's indicated. It's not just about um, housing because the, the package, of course, is, which has to be viewed as a whole, includes um, substantial mitigation in relation to water infrastructure and farming. Do you have any thoughts on, on that and how that package kind of? Um, how those aspects of the package sit alongside the housing elements? Yeah, I think it's a very important element that's often um, overlooked by those people who perhaps review uh, regard the government as just ripping up environmental regulations. Uh, you know, the government isn't. I think it, I think they're responding to something that that we said, and I think I think probably you did, Charlie, and others that because of the Dutch nitrogen judgment, we're in this situation now where. It is no longer. It was no longer feasible for uh, the government to take uh, to to embark upon mitigation measures that might take effect in the medium to longer term. You know though, that mitigation now had to be functional, operational, effective prior to the occupation of homes, and I think that was a really difficult situation. I think what the government is doing is that I think it's rebalancing the legislation back to how I think it was intended to operate under the Habitats Directive and the Habitats Regulations in this country, uh, which is that you could uh, allow uh, um, a temporary adverse effect so long as you have measures in place that would address those adverse impacts in the medium to longer term. And I'm very uh, indebted to to Dr. Ashley Bowes, your colleague Charlie, who wrote that very good article on CapEx uh, about that, about how this doesn't represent a ripping up of environmental environmental uh, regulations. Uh, and the government is very clear that it's not going to relax measures to improve the condition of war, of of our, our rivers and our sensitive wetland habitats. It's just the timing at which that mitigation is provided. So the government is going to uh, double down on uh, actions by water companies to improve the performance of the sewage network, coupled with tighter regulation over certain agricultural practices, which account for about 90% of the problem. House building probably accounts for less than 1% of the issue. There isn't a detailed study on this, but I've looked at various forecasts that probably put it at less than 1%. 
So it was always, you know, stopping house building would never make an improvement to the condition of our rivers, but it would cause great social um, hardship, you know, for those people in, in housing need. And uh, um, so the government is looking for a whole a range of measures, and it's also looking for contributions, voluntary contributions uh, from house builders in the catchments affected uh, to raise money to contribute to, we think it's going to be Natural England's nutrient mitigation scheme. I think the money is going to be made available to Natural England. And I am in the process at the moment, Charlie, of trying to discuss with members, or we're about to be, I'm having provisional discussions at the moment, I'm discussing with members how we might raise the money that the government wants. Thank you. And you mentioned Ashley Bowes' article on CapEx, and um, Rob will hopefully be able to add the... Don't test me on it, Charlie. Uh, ...material. Um, now, Ashley's article, of course, was in response to the Office for Environmental Protection, who issued a what purported to be formal advice um, less than 24 hours after the amendments were um, issued. The amendments themselves run into 26 pages, as Ashley notes, so that's less than less than one hour per page of reflection. But they issued their formal advice saying that they considered this was contrary to the ministerial statement under Section 20 of the Environment Act 2021, where ministers have to confirm if legislation amounts to a regression in the environmental protection confirmed by law. And they felt so confident after 24 hours as to say that they thought it did. Um, Ashley wrote an article that um, suggested it may be a little bit more balanced than than they suggested. Um, and of course, the RSPB issued their well now well-known tweets that they rode back from. So not everybody's happy about this. A lot of people in the environmental lobby have expressed unhappiness about this. Yes, indeed. Yeah. An observation, is there a way through whereby um, everybody may end up being able to achieve a degree of consensus on, on these matters, do you think? Well, uh, I hope you're not going to test me on Dr. Ashley Bowe's article because, uh, because I'm not a lawyer and I couldn't possibly give you a legal opinion. But my understanding is that the, I think what the government is doing or I think what it needs to do is to get us back to a position which I tried to articulate previously, which is that you don't renege or loosen environmental protections. It's it's the manner in which you deliver those and whether you can deliver those on a longer time frame and it doesn't become an immediate requirement that you have to do that prior to the occupation of homes because that was never going to be feasible. Uh, and, you know, the... You know, the mitigation solutions just weren't available uh, and it was going to be really costly because basically landowners who had the solutions, you know, were able to ransom those at the price you needed to, in order to unlock, unlock your liability. So I'm hoping we might get back to a more sensible position where, or a more pragmatic position where we recognise that we have to deliver against the three strands of what constitutes sustainable development and we don't lose sight of the social aspect which is why I entered the housebound industry, because I wanted to make housing more affordable and cheaper and available to everybody, not just those people who happen to be wealthy enough you know, and, and can afford to live in a nice big house. So yeah, I, I'm hoping we might get back to a more sensible position on how we go about delivering those three goals as a state. Thanks, Richard. Well, um, I've got a few more questions, but before I launch into those and hand around to the others, I know Paul's got a question on a related theme. So I'm going to just uh, pass over to Paul for that. 
yeah. Hello, James. Uh, firstly, apologies for a couple of things. Um, it's a tradition in this show that I always uh, speak at a time when I'm at a motorway service area. I am. Well, it's Weatherby. Uh, I'm going to have to drop off. <laughs> second, I'm going to have to drop off any, any second, which is why Charlie's drawn me up the, uh, the order. Um, and uh, I'll have a word with Charlie later on because he's already stolen my thunder in terms of my question. It's one of the problems if you cross-examine after <laughs> Charlie Banner's gone first. There's no questions left. Um, so, James, my question really relates to, to the uh, Ashley Bowes article uh, in, in CapEx, which I commend to everyone. There's been a, a significant amount of surprisingly intemperate language in terms of the response to this. It's almost as if the development industry is perceived to have won. The environmental in, uh, side of things uh, has lost. Whereas that's very much not the response of Teresa Coffey's uh, very well-considered uh, letter, which I commend to anybody uh, who's watching the show in response to the OEP letter. So my question is really a, ma a matter of management. How does one go about articulating that this is not a victory for one side or the other, that this is a way forward in terms of solving a national issue? How does the HBF contribute to that? Uh, well, we have been trying to maintain very good constructive working relationships with many of the environmental NGOs uh, uh, and the uh, arms length organizations, not least of which Natural England and the Environment Agency. And to be fair, I think Natural England themselves uh, you know, came round to the view about the same time as government that the current approach wasn't working. And I all credit to Natural England on that, you know, to 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 um uh uh to be honest about how slow uh, nature-based solutions uh, were uh, taking to materialize. And it would probably be better and certainly more cost-effective and probably efficient uh, for the government to back Natural England's own nutrient mitigation scheme uh, because that could probably be done, be done more effectively and cheaper without, um, you know, without, you know, uh, challenging so much money uh, away from the ability to deliver affordable housing, so I, I think it's it is incumbent on the HBF to try and uh, uh, continue to make the case that we're not rowing back. There is no intention for house builders to row back on our environmental obligations. Indeed, if anything, uh, stopping these uh, the construction of these homes is preventing more energy efficient homes from being built. It will stop biodiversity net gain from being delivered when that becomes a statutory obligation in October. You'll get none of those benefits greater water efficiency uh, uh, in homes. So I think we're trying to say that actually this is, isn't constructive. Uh, the application of the Dutch nitrogen judgment in this country is actually having uh, not only social consequences uh, in terms of housing hardship, but it's actually stopping many other related environmental goals uh, being delivered. Thank you, James. And thanks, Paul. We'll let you return to your motorway service area. And once you've gone, we'll speculate on what's happened to your wrist. Um, so, sayonara. Rooms by the hour behind me, Charlie. As usual. <laughs> 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 James, I, before I hand over to the others, um, I'm interested to know your take on the politics of it all. Um, where do the other parties stand? And, and in your judgment, how much confidence is there that the amendments will actually get through Parliament, in particular House of Lords, in expansion yeah. on amended form? Yeah. Uh, it is interesting, and um, we've been—I've been in conversation with Matthew Pennycook uh, today, who I think is nervous about uh, uh, Labour seeming to support a bill which looks as if uh, they are tearing up um, environmental commitments. 
Um, and and we've tried to we've tried to explain to the Labour Party why we don't think that is the case, and and we we've, we've just gone through all those arguments, and how this is important to uh, um, deliver other environmental objectives, and maintaining housing delivery, which is something that Labour. Uh, councils have asked for themselves. As I said before, this isn't only a request that's come from from the house building sector. Many local authorities have also made this this case. Uh, so I think the jury's out on on how the Labour Party will respond to the bill. I think they are in the process of of seeking if there's another if there's another alternative, um, such as the proposal that's been promoted by Greenshank, which you might want to discuss later. Um, so I think they're looking to see if there's an alternative, uh, but I think all those alternatives, as far as I understand, would equally require legislation to be passed mm. and regulations implemented. So I think the alternatives would require, uh, still require many years to take effect. And in the meantime, we've got a problem of 145,000 homes delayed by our calculations. Uh, the government's 100,000 figure, I think, is based on those that are currently in the planning system. Uh, our figure of 145 includes those that are allocated in, in local plans. So I think that explains the difference if people are interested in that. So I think the jury's out on the Labour Party. But I think I think the position of the Lib Dems and the Greens is, is very clear. I think you know they're implacably opposed to, to what government intends to do. Last one for me before I hand over to the others. Um, should we just spend a moment looking at what's not changed? Because um, the issues, not least in the CG Fly, which is obviously going to appeal um, uh, shortly. Uh, the issues about um, habitats uh, matters holding up already consented development in a situation where ordinarily that development wouldn't have to have another look at, at issues that should be looked at at outline stage or, or full permission stage. Um, even if these amendments are passed, they wouldn't affect, would they, water neutrality or the Chiltern Beachwood type rec recreational issues? Um so any thoughts from your point of view about whether more is needed in relation to other habitats areas um, which are also experiencing um, challenges? Yeah. And that's quite explicit, isn't it, Charlie, for the legislation? It refers distinctly to nutrients. And the chief planner's letter makes it clear that water neutrality uh, remains unaffected. Mm. The water neutrality issue is a very worrying one for the industry. You know, I think if these amendments go through then perhaps we can breathe a sigh of relief for nutrients. But I think it's only, it's likely that the water neutrality issue will rise. And I'm seeing it, um, I mean, we're seeing it uh, uh, all around the country. We're starting to see local authorities, you know, water companies saying um, we can't supply uh, developments with water. So can you introduce a local plan policy that, that restricts developments unless they can demonstrate that there is an issue of water scarcity? That's likely to grow. We're likely to see more water neutrality zones emerge, particularly in the east of it, east of England area. My my hunch about that is that I think the government is hoping to address the water neutrality issue through the statutory water resources management program process, um, which um, uh, is is a statutory process whereby water companies should. Uh, um, should identify that there is an adequate there is an adequate water supply to meet the needs of the planned system for the next 20 years and if there isn't then these are the measures they'll take to ensure that and those statutory plans are signed off by the environment agency 
and countersigned by uh, EFRA and the Secretary of State. And it has been our contention uh, that um, uh, that if that, you know, down in the Sussex area, the West Sussex area, that if that isn't the case, um, and uh, Natural England, the local authorities, and Southern Water can can say no, there is a there is an adequate water supply that's that's harming a particular uh, um, species. Then somebody is at fault. There is a breakdown in the regulatory system somewhere, and I think our contention is that it's the Environment Agency that has failed as the oversight body. It shouldn't have signed off that water resources management plan, or or the Environment Agency was right in signing off that plan and that actually they should they should weigh down on southern water to say look you you've got you've got mitigation but you've got alternatives you can port water in so that you're not extracting water from this aquifer that's that's in contention down in the west sussex area and i'm hoping that that's what the government is looking to do it's going to tighten up that regulatory procedure to stop natural england and the water companies uh, playing off um against each other really. Because that's the problem we've got at the moment is that nobody is taking responsibility. Yes. Um, the water companies say, well, it's natural England. Natural England will say it's the local authority, and the local authority will say it's natural England. Uh, and DEFRA and the Environment Agency won't have anything to do with it. So, so you know, government has got to get a grip on this problem. We live in an era of buck passing, it might be said, in all sorts of respects. Uh, and in terms of impact zones, I... I, I don't really know about that one that is you know there are more of them than you, than you, you care to think actually you know they, they crop up all over the country uh but but we would hope that well that's a difficult one because my understanding is that the absolute block on development in the Chiltern Beechwoods has been done on the basis of the Dutch nitrogen judgment um whereas where they cropped up elsewhere Charlie they were introduced prior to Dutch nitrogen. So I don't really know about that one. I think that could be a thorny issue. Well, enough from me. Um, I'm going to pass around to the others now. Um, Sasha, um, to your questions. Or- Thank you, Charlie. You, you are nicked one of the questions I was going to ask about whether this will really become legislation, but James gave a very good answer on that. James, do you think there needs to be some kind of, I don't know whether legislation or policy comment also that affects allocations because also i've been aware that some policy teams in local authorities have, have veered away from sites which have these consequences do the, do the government also need to clear the path for the purpose of development plans that are emerging as well yeah so um Sasha, just help me is this a is this um is this about where you allocate sites do you allocate them outside of the catchment area exactly well, I think I think local authorities that have been affected by the nutrient neutrality issue basically haven't done any plan making. Well, Canterbury is advancing a plan, but they're not they're not proposing not to allocate in nutrient sensitive areas. I think they're looking at kind of packaged treatment plants as a way around that. But but it certainly has been but but that's been a problem with the nutrient neutrality mm-hmm. issue. It, it has stopped plan making. And certainly local authorities were very, as Charlie alluded to earlier, very worried about the adverse consequences for five-year land supply. Local authorities saying that that then increases applications outside of nutrient-sensitive areas. I, I'm not really sure that that's a major issue, but certainly it was an issue that local authorities had flagged. 
And yeah, and Ashford, uh, Ashford Council, like ninety percent of its housing allocations were 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 now, um, you know, couldn't be afford because they were within within the catchment area. So so yeah, I think it's that's another reason why I think this intervention by government was necessary. Uh, um, I don't know what they get. I mean, I think I, I don't know if you're going to come onto this, but there's the question about what will be in the revised national planning policy framework. Uh, um, I would I would have thought Sasha they would say very little about nutrients because it would be unlawful for local authorities to make policy or make decisions on the basis of nutrient neutrality. But I don't know. I'm, maybe I'm being naive. There was a moment yesterday where LinkedIn thought it should be issued with no changes other than wind onshore wind. <laughs> but uh, that proved not to be the case. I've not had a chance to check. I've certainly haven't been able to look at LinkedIn for the past yeah. couple of days. I've yes. just been back meeting today. There is a September, 20, there's a September 2023 framework published yesterday, which is the same as with a response due later, but the same as apart from um, some changes to onshore wind. Um, Chris, which the government, which the government managed to, to get wrong, they the government said that they were amending the 2019 version, and I think they'd forgotten they'd issued a 2021. Well, <laughs> I, I forgot as well, Chris. But not a model of comp- not a model of competence, you might think. Yeah, James, fantastic news. I know you've been working on this uh, really, really hard for a long time. We've had you on the show to talk about it. Amazing, just amazing, and you've been completely focused on this issue because of yeah, because of what's what's effect it's had on the house building industry. Um, I have to say, my view has always been to look at the water companies. I'm sat here in Cheltenham. Seven Trent Water made profits last year of half a billion, uh, and they've done that through not always investing. So, um, your statistic just one percent of this is caused by the house building industry demonstrates how absolutely misguided the target was that the target was the water companies and potentially re-examining what we do with agriculture and how much phosphate we put onto land to stop the building of houses was absolutely monstrous frankly um and to be honest i don't think you're right about labor i know you've spoken to matthew today but that is her majesty's opposition you were speaking to they are there to hold the government to task and to look for the best possible solution. But nothing I've read or heard uh, it is suggesting that the Labour Party is looking to oppose this if this is the most appropriate fix. Um, so you may just want to consider that. My point is why is it taken so long? Mary talked at the start about Somerset, but it started long before that. Uh, I was advising a consortium of developers and architects, in fact, everybody in Herefordshire, Back in 2020, in light of the position that Natural England adopted when they contacted Herefordshire Council in July 2019, that is four years ago when they then encouraged and the council then imposed a moratorium on house building, affecting everybody, planners, affecting architects, affecting small and medium-sized builders, affecting everybody. So why has it taken this long to find a solution when the house building industry should never have been the target in the first place? Well, I think I think probably two things. One, I think the first is that it was unclear within government where responsibility for this issue lay. And we were certainly passed between DEFRA and DLUHC. It was quite comical, really, um, 
you know, uh, you, you'd write to Rebecca Powell about it and she says, nothing to do with me, it's housing. And and conversely, you know, the LEHC would say, and that went on for about the first, uh, when we picked it up, when we I started picking it up in early 2020 and, and that, that that's what was happening. Um, and it was still very difficult to engage with DEFRA on it. It's only really when Number 10 and Treasury uh, started to engage with it uh, um, early this year uh, that we started to see any movement. Um, so I think there was a reluctance in DEFRA and DLUHC to give this attention. I think the other factor was that I think there was an assumption within DEFRA and DLUHC based upon uh, looking at the Solent catchment where the Solent area did actually manage to bring forward and has done quite a few mitigation solutions, purchasing of farms, whether that's a good idea, taking farms, so many farms out of, out of production. Um, and Simon Kennedy, who works with the push authorities, is very vocal about that. And, you know, all credit to Simon and the work that they did, albeit they were dealing with nitrogen, which, uh, um, so it makes your mitigation office options stretch much further. But I think the government looked at that, and as I've said before, I think they were lulled into a sense of security. They thought, well, the market would respond quickly. But but the soda was not replicated elsewhere. You know, there are um, there are a few commercial schemes out there, but they're not providing nearly enough credits. And the few schemes that are there, local authorities tend to want to husband those credits to prioritise SME developers. Um, you know, we've heard from a lot of medium-sized developers who Say you need seven credits, but they, but you know, the local authority will only allow them for two. So you know, it was. It, I, I, I think, I think it was. I think the government underestimated how serious this issue was. I think it's no, it's no secret that the change in pace on this has been led by Number Ten and Rishi Sunak's team. Yeah, uh, it's interesting to talk about Defra because Defra is a, um, it's a funny old department, isn't it? Because it covers. In, in, EIA habitats, farmers, and water companies. It it, it might be thought that um, there's various conflicts within the ministerial brief, and that we might want to go back to a, a math ministerial for fisheries, exploitation, farmers, etc., and then an environmental department separate. And that may have may perhaps be a bit more efficient than a a department with an institutional conflict. Anyway, Mary, over over to you. you we started with you. We finished with you. Yes. Well, no, I, I, I would like to, in my na- naive way, I would like to take the politics out of this and just remind ourselves that um, I think this is all about homes uh, that for the very people, James, that you, you know, you got involved in this. And it strikes me that government needs to get this bill through. And that bill needs to uh, deliver on all three elements. The bill can't just be seen to be delivering on the environmental element. It's got to deliver, hasn't it, on the water company regulation and um, some new farming practices, it seems to me. If it doesn't do that, it's not going to give the confidence to whether you're, you know, whichever political party you come from, it's not going to give them the confidence to actually vote it through. Um, I think that's a very that's a very important point that, that perhaps we've 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 neglected in this discussion. We, you know, the other important component in the in the levelling up and regeneration bill is the statutory requirement on water companies to improve yes. the waste stream works, uh, um, and that is critical. I mean, this will the government's plans will you know the government hopes that this issue will go away by about twenty thirty because the condition of rivers will have improved by then. Um, but if you don't get that element of the bill through. Then you know you're not really going to be improving the condition of rivers. No, it's it seems to me it's all or nothing. You've got to have 
you know, you've got to have all of it, and we we really can't afford nothing. So that's more of an observation than really than a than than a than a question. But um, I, I mean, again, just for viewers, um, should we be distinguishing between what's going on here in terms of England versus uh, Wales? Because uh, is this not a devolved matter? Uh, yes, it is. And I had to check on that today because somebody else asked me that question. Um, and no, the, the legislation applies only to England. It is uh, environmental matters are uh, a devolved matter. Yes. Uh, um, and uh, so I spoke to Mark Harris, who's uh, the HBF's uh, Wales uh, planning policy uh, manager. Uh, and he is in discussion with uh, the Welsh government about uh whether they might look at what's being done in England and whether they might copy that. But I think that's very, very unlikely. Um, I think the Welsh government would rather look at expediting mitigation solutions, I think, mm. rather, than, rather than legislative change. Mm. But of course, the infrastructure is a bit better in Wales, isn't it? Because I think in, in is it Wrexham, they have um, phosphate stripping. It's um, not something I've come across anywhere else. Uh, and so I don't know whether the Welsh perhaps have, they've got you know, they've got a better water infrastructure in place in the first place. There you go. I've learned something new about nutrients every day. But, but yeah. They have that. John, you're absolutely right. They've got they've got it. And it's allowing the 3,000 houses in the plan in Wrexham to go ahead, although, although the plan's not progressing. And, and they have it in Monmouth as well. So you're absolutely right. They've got equipment, the right equipment, in the water treatment companies, in the Welsh water companies. It's as simple as that. If I there's, a moral, there's a moral there, isn't it? There's a yeah, moral there. Uh, and, and the moral is that we haven't got our regulation um, of the water companies right. And um, I, we could we could expand this conversation to uh, other issues like um, dra drainage and flood risk, but let's not do that. I, I think um, I'll, I'll let you close your interview, Charlie, but I think we must... Um, we, we, should have, we, should, we certainly should get back to that. And it, it may not be regulation, it may be enforcement of regulation. The regulation actually arguably is there. It's that they've been let off the hook. Um, last last one from me, James. Um, where does this leave Natural England? They might be feeling a little bit bruised uh, this week. Um, any thoughts on that? Well, I think as I said earlier, I, I, I've been quite um, I've been quite impressed actually by the way that Natural England's re uh, responded to this. I think it, initially it was in. Uh, I mean, the the view of Natural England is 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 that they they felt they could do no other. You know they were they were presented with this legal judgment emanating from the Court of Justice of the European Union, and they felt they were obliged to uh, to advise local authorities, remind them of what their statutory responsibilities were. Um, I think there was also quite a large amount of frustration with Natural England that nobody in government, central government, was listening to them about the. Uh, uh, about the damage to our, our river systems. And I think it's possible that they saw the Dutch nitrogen judgment as an opportunity to roll it out. Dutch nitrogen's interesting if because, uh, sorry, I'm going to digress a bit here, but it, but it doesn't really seem to have been applied anywhere else in the European Union apart from the Netherlands, where it's calling huge political uh, uh, turmoil now. But I think the Poles basically just stuck two fingers up and said, we're not going to do it. Because you know they're a major food-producing country, it really affects those countries that depend have large agricultural sectors where you use a lot of kind of slurry. Sorry, a digression there. So uh, yeah, natural England. Uh, you know, I, I've kind of got a lot of respect for them. I think the way that mm. they realise that actually they, you know, 
um, this is really causing some great difficulties. You know, they'd hoped that nature-based solutions would emerge. They didn't. And therefore, they kind of say, look, we, we can't really run this much. Thanks very much, yeah. Jay. Well, um, when I was a child, I was a little bit unwell with something a long time ago. I saw a doctor specializing in that field. And he said at the end of the consultation, I hope you never have to see me again. Because that would be a good thing. I hope, James, you never have to come on the show again. Because that would mean things are probably going quite well for you. I suspect you probably will do at some point. But in the meantime, thank you very much indeed for coming on the show. Uh, we're going to be back very soon with our regular um, episode. So please do watch this space. We've already got quite a few exciting guests lined up and are working on a few more too. So please do watch this space. Thank you for watching. Thanks, James. Great to see you, team. We'll see you all soon.